Good evening, dummies. September 14th, Tuesday, episode 222. My name is Matthew Spear. This is Don't Unfriend Me. Thank you. We had some glitches this evening with our software. The phone went down, then the TV went down. We had to reboot the TV, then the phone went down again. The software crashed recording, and then my camera turned off. All of that, and still, we're going to somehow do a show tonight. So when you're impressed, make sure you put it down below with a like, follow, share, and subscribe. Tonight, we're talking about General Millie. Or is it Miley? It's Millie. If I say Miley tonight, it's, I don't know why. I've went through this five times and I keep negotiating with myself to say Miley. But we're going to try to say Millie tonight. This is episode 222. We're going into calls of treason and immediate removal from the Joint Chiefs over Afghanistan. And also a book by Bob Woodward that is released. And there's a history with Mr. Bob. We're going to go over it tonight. But first, we're opening up the credits to Don't Unfriend Me. from an undisclosed location. Always honest, always direct. So sit back, relax. Don't Unfriend Me starts right now. Well, thank you, dummies, for joining once again. We have a bunch of people on live, and that is the way we like it. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for sticking with us. 68 people on. I think this is the witching hour. A little bit later to do the show might be the secret sauce, which is fine. I don't mind doing it. So let me know below. This is a good time for you. This is the most viewers we've had on at this time of night. And usually we do this around 730 Eastern. So it's almost 9 o'clock Eastern. If this works better for you, please let me know. Tonight, we're talking about would you like to know more? But first, before we get there, Bob Woodward and Millie, let's talk about who we are. Don't Unfriend Me. You can see all of my tags in the lower portion of the screen right there, at Don't Unfriend Me. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Actually, not Twitter. It's a long story. We don't need to go into that. Anchor, Rumble, and all of that. If you haven't had a chance, please do me a favor. Head on over and give me a like, follow, share, and subscribe. I think we're going to start Terrific Tuesday And Terrific Tuesday, I'm going to put one of my social media channels out on a post, link it to everybody, and ask everyone to follow, like, share, and subscribe. So we will do that starting next week. But if you could for me, just preemptively, give me a chance. Go out there and hit like, share, follow, subscribe on all my social media channels to keep this thing going. You can find me on all of those channels. And also, I want to express what the heck is a dummy. You're going to hear it throughout the show, the Dumb Nation. The dummies are the Don't Unfriend Me's. It's an acronym, and Barstool Sports has stoolies. We have the dummies. It is a term of affection and endearment. Hillary Clinton called us deplorables, and I have the dummies. However, there is another term that you may not like, which is called the Dumb Dumbs. They're a special kind of sucker led by Dusty Dinkelman, the first Dumb Dumb who is no longer with us. It's those people who are entrenched in Fox News or CNN and have no possible idea of what they're talking about except for the talking points and really don't care about exploring other options. That's what we do on this show. We talk about everything. We try to be as impartial as we can, and we are pretty much conservatives, but it doesn't mean that we can't listen to other opposing viewpoints. That's the whole premise of the show. So don't be a dum-dum. Be a dummy. Last but not least, you can stop by my website. And don'tunfriendme.com if you would like to watch the show off of social media because some people don't partake. You can go to don'tunfriendme.com, watch my videos, my blog, my podcast, and everything else. I put a pin in the comments, and I will get through all of them when we are done tonight. But for right now, 
there it goes again randomly that song comes out and it just makes that funny little special effect let's get into it wood not w-o-u-l-d but w-o-o-d would you like to know more bob woodward does that name sound familiar to anybody out there it should it almost led to president trump's third article of impeachment don't remember well, let me assist you with your recollection. During his top secret intelligence briefing in the Oval Office on January 28th, when the discussion turned to the coronavirus outbreak in China, the National Security Advisor said this will be the biggest national security threat you face in your presidency, Robert C. O'Brien told Trump. This is going to be the roughest thing you face, Matthew Pottinger the Deputy National Security Advisor agreed. He told the president that after reaching contacts in China, it was evident that the world faced a health emergency on par with the flu pandemic of 1918, which killed an estimated 50 million people worldwide. Ten days later, Trump called Bob Woodward and revealed that he thought the situation was far more dire than what he had been saying publicly. Sound familiar yet? This was Nancy Pelosi's Rosetta Stone and gave her all the information she needed to begin to turn public opinion against Trump and reverse the insurmountable lead in the re-election campaign of Donald Trump. At that time, Trump was telling the nation that the virus was no worse than a seasonal flu, predicting it would soon disappear and insisting that the U.S. government had it totally under control. It would be several weeks before he would publicly acknowledge that the virus was no ordinary flu and that it could be transmitted through the air. Trump admitted to Woodward on March 19th that he deliberately minimized the danger. Quote, I wanted to always play it down, the president said. I still like playing it down because I don't want to create a panic. No matter your opinion on this subject, and I for one believe Trump did the right thing, not overplaying the pandemic. We were not where we are today from an information standpoint, but if you think that the ventilators, the toilet paper shortage, the mass crisis was bad before. Imagine if the president of the United States went on national stage and played Chicken Little. But at this point, several key mishandles and gaffes were all that was necessary for the good that the Pence and Trump did to quickly unravel due to the political opportune left waiting in the wings. Now you may ask, thanks Matt, we appreciate you jogging our memories. Thanks for the painful retelling of the story, but why now? Well, luckily, I will tell you. But first, let me preface a few things. The left was relentless towards Trump and Woodward. They blamed Woodward for folding or for keeping information in his book sales, The Focus, and everything he wrote was still considered gospel from the disciples' mouth. So in one hand, they said he has no judgment when it comes to the release of the information. But second, that all of it was valid, of course, because it says negative things about Trump. The great Bob Woodward, talk about a polarizing disposition, to admonish and then regurgitate the espousals of a sleazy tabloid journalist must have been all so much for the leftists to bear. I am sure they muscled through it since they play in the same murky, swampy waters of D.C. Now, with the grandstanding of Woodward from the left, they can challenge his financial motivations but have solidified his word to be slightly less credible than the word of God. They loaded their guns to take down Trump with the words from Woodward. They now have to sleep in that proverbial chicken coop because they created credibility where there was none, and now the chickens are coming home to roost. How deadly and fickle karma can be. A new book is hitting the shelves years later from these stories. 
The book is titled Peril and is authored by the same Bob Woodward himself with a second writer, Robert Costa. It releases on the 21st of September. Now, the book is laced with accusation and accounts of impropriety that's not right. It's more treason from no other than General Mark Milley himself. The book states that General Mark Milley reassured China's People's Liberal Army General Li Zhu Chen that he would give the communist country a heads up if President Donald Trump launched an attack in the final months of his presidency. He did so in a series of reported phone calls and reassuredly he would stand between Trump and an attack on China assets. One call took place on October 30th, 2020, four days before the election that unseated President Trump, and the other on January 8th, 2021, and This is what was said. General Lee, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything is going to be okay, Milley told him. We are not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations against you. In the book's account, Milley went so far as to pledge he would alert his counterpart in the event of a U.S. attack, stressing the rapport they had established through a back channel. General Lee, you and I have known each other for now five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. Believing that China could lash out if it felt at risk from an unpredictable and vengeful American president, Miley took, Millie took the action the same day he called the Admiral overseeing the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, the military unit responsible for Asia and the Pacific region, and recommended postponing the military exercises according to the book. The Admiral complied. Millie also summoned senior officers to review the procedures for launching nuclear weapons, saying the president alone could give the order, but crucially that he, Milley, also had to be involved. Looking each in the eye, Milley asked the officers to affirm that they had understood his commands, the author writes, in what he considered an oath. In other words, Milley instructed senior officers to obey his orders and to ignore those given by President Trump the duly elected commander-in-chief. Milley instructed those senior officers to obey his orders and to ignore all orders given by Trump. The outrageous behavior has sparked additional calls for Milley to resign and, and even for his arrest. This is the same general, mind you, who has been at the forefront of pushing the conspiracy theory that the Capitol incursion of January 6th was some sort of domestic terrorist-led armed insurrection by white supremacists. In reality, a few hundred unarmed protesters and rioters stormed the Capitol in an event that pales in comparison to the many Black Lives Matter-inspired riots and looting sprees that ravaged cities across the U.S. throughout the year prior. Despite this, Milley and others among the deep state establishment claimed and possibly even believed that a coordinated group of so-called right-wing domestic extremists inspired by Trump was set on taking over the government. This is the same general who said, I want America to know that the United States military is an apolitical institution, he said. But in the same breath, Pelosi phoned Milley shortly after January 6th to inquire about precautions that are available to prevent an unstable president from initiating military hostilities. According to a transcript of the call, there were a lot of checks in the system, Milley told her. He's crazy. You know, he's crazy, Pelosi said. He's crazy, and what he did yesterday is further evidence of his craziness. 
She needs to find a new word. I agree with you on everything, Millie replied. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not here to smear a member of the military. I may not like Millie's platform or constant virtue signaling, but I think Millie has to be commended for his service. But the accolades stop there. Here's the thing. Trump was the same guy before and after the 2020 presidential election. And on January 6th, that he was when he was elected in 2016. He's the same guy he was decades before that too. Love him or hate him, Trump is consistent and has stayed true to form for the most of his 75 years of life. It's that authenticity that endears him to his supporters. The simple fact is this. An officer is sworn to protect the Constitution, and so is the president. The chain of command is in place for a reason, and from general to private, understand the seriousness and importance of following the chain of command. Milley did indeed break the chain of command, went behind the back of the president, and committed an act of collusion with the enemy, period. At no time did Trump demonstrate a denial of transfer of power. The FBI and Department of Justice have cleared him of any wrongdoing for the supposed insurrection, and at no time has it been tied to Trump. The left have abandoned their positions and are running for the hills now that more information is coming out from the FBI that they were actually in the crowd, that Antifa members and registered Democrats posing as Trump supporters, all of it is suspect. And Milley bought into the hysteria hook, line, and sinker. Nobody is above the presidency, and it is not for the military members to perform a coup de grace against a sitting president or to collude with an adversary to undermine his presidency. The left have bit off more than they intended, and their validation of Woodward leaves them in a conundrum. Do they react and retract their support for Woodward's investigatory skills, or do they admit that he has zero credibility? And on the other foot, will Republicans and Trump supporters do the same thing? We can't now believe Woodward and call him a liar when the shoe is on the other hand. I think that got mixed up, but it doesn't matter. You understand my point. Why is there a church and state in the military today, and how did this come about? The principle has been there from the beginning. It's enshrined in Article 2 of the Constitution, that the president is commander-in-chief, and thus a civilian is always in charge of the military. But why? I always enjoy reminding people that the Founding Fathers were all very keen students of history, ancient and modern. They were well aware that the biggest threat to the Republic And we must remember how unique the U.S. was in the 18th century in choosing to not have a king. Historically, was a military dictatorship. The Founding Fathers wrote and spoke a lot about the city-states of ancient Greece, but more especially about ancient Rome, which was a republic long before it became an empire. And they were well aware that the Greeks fell prey to their tyrants and that the Roman Republic was effectively destroyed by Julius Caesar, a hugely successful general with huge ambitions. The U.S. creators idolized a very different Roman general, Cincinnatus, who lived in the time of the Republic. And after winning a vital war, he simply retired to his farm, something deliberately emulated by George Washington when he said farewell to the army and returned to Mount Vernon, creating the first transfer of power. The Founding Fathers had a couple of more recent examples in mind as well. Most powerful, perhaps, was the example in the mother country, England, which suffered several civil wars in the 1600s. The Puritans won for a while and established a republic, but their most powerful general, Oliver Cromwell, quickly tired of the politicians' dealings and established a military dictatorship. It was hugely unpopular, and many Brits who moved to the colonies carried with them 
and antipathy to standing armies. Another example not so well known is the use of a large standing army by the kings of France to stamp out democratic life and persecute religious minorities, mostly Protestants. Many of these found refuge in America, including the ancestors of Paul Revere. This gave them another good reason not to want a standing army. In fact, the U.S. kept its peacetime military comparatively tiny until the start of the Cold War. It was barely tolerated, and the military knew as an institution it could survive only if it could inoculate these ideas of subservience to civil authority and its officers. This is why you see a clear separation between the powers of the president and the Congress via the military. The president isn't an elected king, and the military is certainly not the round table. To get out of the current crisis of civilian military relations and restore the military status as a nonpartisan institution, five steps are necessary. First, all attempts to politicize the military must be called out by politicians, by the media, by fellow officers, by citizens, active duty military officers should resist being used as political props. And Milley's comments were a good first step to restoring that balance. If political leaders from either party do attempt to portray the military as a partisan ally, and active and retired officers can and should call this out as a breach of trust. Second, the military should never be deployed in a politically charged domestic situation unless absolutely necessary. The National Guard might need to augment police forces with additional manpower in some cases, but it is best used in support, lightly armed, and away from the center of political protests. Managing peaceful protests is a law enforcement task, and most National Guard and active duty military units are not trained or equipped to do it well. While use of active troops for law enforcement can be legal, and there is clear historical precedent for it, it can be risky and sometimes violent. Third, don't encourage anyone in the military to take sides in elections, forming two opposing civilian military alliances as candidates seek endorsements in response to opponents' attempts to establish their own coalition, with the military, instead of focusing on civilian levers of influence, only makes future crises more likely. When President Joe Biden stated that the military would escort Trump from the White House if he lost, but refuses to leave, only keeps the military front and center in a partisan campaign. Fourth, the push to get more retired generals to enter the fray must stop. Retired generals have already made their concerns clear, and they may yet be needed to call out specific abuses or violations of norms. The evidence tells us that the military involvement in political campaigns works far less well in changing public opinion than most observers think it does. Finally, if citizens think a leader or candidate is damaging or will damage the neutral and non-political status of the military, they should use the ballot box. They can mobilize, protest, and vote, but they shouldn't recruit the military to enter the campaign. The military needs to be the entire country's military, not Trump's or Biden's or any other president or parties. The idea that a candidate requires the blessing of active or, retire, active or retired generals to win an election should cause all Americans serious concern. The conditions that set the stage for today's crisis in civilian military relations have been developing for decades. The problems won't disappear anytime soon, regardless of who occupies the Oval Office. But Americans must realize before it's too late that no one should ask the military to take sides to save American democracy. That is a task for civilian leaders and institutions. 
The moment the military becomes the arbiter of political legitimacy in the U.S. politics, democracy will have been lost. Folks, thank you for watching Don't Unfriend Me tonight, hiccups and all. That is my show, and I will see you tomorrow for episode 223. If you are live, stick around, hang around, and I will answer all of your questions. We'll have a little bit of an after show. But I will leave like I always do on the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It is a horrible and atrocious thing. Traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety are all real. Veterans need your help. The best way to do that is to have a conversation. However, vets are not the most talkative unless they're talking to other vets. If you can't have that conversation, please reach out to me or another vet that you know and make that phone call. If that doesn't work, you can go to donutfriendly.com, click on the VCL link, and you'll be connected to the Veteran Crisis Hotline. It's completely anonymous, free of charge, and the great thing is if you are not a veteran, they won't turn you away. If you are a civilian and you are in need to talk to somebody, please pick up that phone and call. They will answer that bell. Folks, that is it for 222. Tomorrow onwards to 223. Please do me a favor and like, share, and subscribe right over here. I'd greatly appreciate it on YouTube, on Facebook, and everywhere else. For those who are on with me live still, please stick around, and we will talk after show. Thank you so much. God bless, and have a great night.